Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Fans of Market Call are in for a treat because, unbeknownst to most of you, we will be back on Mondays. Starting in December, that's what do we call that when you drop news, Dan? We call it dropping news. <clears throat> we just drop some news. Well, you excited? Just, You're exci- I'm excited about that. Just drop I that like, shit like a bomb. Yeah, like a bot, like a and, bomb. Uh, and yeah. you know, just so you folks, just so we understand each other, so there's no misconceptions before we get into today's show. Dan and I love doing the radio. Sirius uh, obviously is they're the Babe Ruth of. What do they call that? Extraterrestrial radio or something? I don't even yeah. know what they yeah. Yeah. But you know, at a certain point, you need to be um compensated for your t- time. Just leave it at that. So anyway, long story short, we'll be back on Mondays starting December, number one. But let's go to the rundown because for you folks that say you two are perma whatever, well, look at the last bullet point here. Three bearish to bullish. Reversal buys brought to you by the great Carter Braxton Worth. Yeah, we're going to take a look at the chart on the S&P 500. And NVIDIA reports just tell goodness gracious. Today, the long-awaited NVIDIA earnings report, the off-cycle report, as they say. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm excited about Monday through Thursday on the market call. We'll probably be expanding that to Fridays in the not-so-distant future too this is like this is like our kind of happy place guy where you and i oftentimes we're here together on the desk but even if we're doing it like that it's a lot of fun here and you know like for me what i find fun about this is we get to kind of narrate the market a little bit you know when we are on other mediums right oftentimes we're answering questions so this is kind of fun to kind of focus on the things that you and i want to focus on um let's talk a little bit about this market that obviously today is has got a little red to it, which seems yeah, kind of yeah. odd. The, the Nasdaq down, you know, sixty five bips, guy. It's not something that we've seen a whole heck of a lot over the last few weeks or so. I think that this saga that that we started talking about Friday afternoon on CBC's Fast Money, you know, with Microsoft and OpenAI and just all the implications about that partnership and and what it kind of means for some of the other big cloud players, the the platform, you know, folks, the 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 private you know, tech ecosystem, you know, a lot of 
this market rally in the NASDAQ in 2023 was sparked by enthusiasm about OpenAI's chat GPT-4, this mm-hmm. large language model. And Microsoft, right out of the gate in January of this year, invested $10 billion, right? We remember, think about this. Maybe these guys could pull up the Google chart, okay? This stock was trading at 90 in January because it looked like that Microsoft just gained an upper hand, right? Like, so think about that. Stock today is at 135, right? It's been volatile, right? It's been some kind of, you know, some some big new highs and, and on the year and then some big sell-offs. And here we are, we filled in that earnings gap. So it's just kind of interesting. The implications of this realignment of, of open AI and what it means, guy, is it's gonna like play into 2024 and expectations for some of the largest companies in the stock market. Yeah, and listen, no question about it. I mean, it started it probably in earnest, I would guess we would start to hear the news flow was the spring of this year, which obviously yeah. coincided with some of the stuff we had in regional banks. It's not, it's it was coincidental in this case, but Microsoft, by the way, was a was a two again. We're talking about a company that's approaching three trillion dollars in market cap. This was a two hundred seventy five dollar stock ish uh, in the spring, and it was sort of felt like it was going to give a little bit back. You know, the market was rolling over type of thing. But you know, they got the open AI. They started talking about all those things in earnest, and the stock was was off to the riz. And as of yesterday, that stock made a new all time high, approaching three hundred and eighty dollars. So. It is fascinating to watch. To your point, a lot of it was on sort of the rhetoric surrounding artificial intelligence, which I think we both would say. Yeah. Hey, Guy, we're having a little audio problems here. We're going to bring in Carter. We're going to have you get resituated a little bit. Carter, it's my end. I apologize. On your end, Guy. Let's bring in Carter Braxton Worth of Worth. Starting there. I, I was hearing that and I was like, wait a minute, is that me? I was starting to hit buttons at no. this end. I, and, no, yeah, I no, don't hit any buttons. Don't right hit now, any buttons. All right. So <laughs> let, let's talk about this a little bit because it's interesting, you know, Carter, we're, we're going to hit, you know, some some of the uh, the S&P futures, the, the NASDAQ futures and the like here. But it's this this breakout of Microsoft, you know, um, you know, the stock sold off 15 percent or so from its July highs. You know, it's just kind of after that earnings report, which I just want to really make that make the the point here is that it was really driven by the excitement in and around the story about their cloud business in Azure, right? And so they grew faster than expected, 29% the quarter um, versus a 26% exp- um, expectation. And it was really kind of off to the races since that. And, and you just think about that move right there. Again, Guy just mm-hmm. said it, $2.8 trillion in market cap. Carter, what does that look like to you? Uh, well, like there's got to be a little bit of a check back coming in. The yeah, well, so future. let's just tell we had, so we had the check back in the sense that we checked back to both Microsoft and NVIDIA. We could look at both simultaneously or back to back. You'll see here that they both sold off and they both stopped to the penny at the 150, not the 200. Very important. Um, but now what, right? Does it, are you due for yet another sort of counter trend move? Cause we know this is an uptrend yeah. or, is it pressing on and breaking out? A lot will be determined by NVIDIA, right? NVIDIA implied move coming up here is uh, about 7%. Yep. And so that would, NVIDIA is the exact same chart. Look, you almost can't tell the difference. They both they both checked back to their 150 average. They both responded to it beautifully. They've both gone on to make slight new highs and are sitting at, at big junctures. So um, I, I guess you have to say, and it's jump ball. I've had a lot of clients in today saying, what are you thinking here for NVIDIA? And uh, I've written back, if one were to simply stick with the rules, <laughs> quotes, the rules are, this is a good uptrend. It had a nice counter trend sell-off. 
that counter-trend sell-off stopped to the penny at the 150 moving average. It bounced with vigor. And as it's done it, it's exhibited impressive relative strength to the market. The market's not making 52 week highs. And it's exhibiting um, bullish price volume correlation, not shown on the chart here, but it, that is the case. So the rules, if one's just sticking with proper technique and observance of all the factors at play, would say you want to be long. And then after I finish that in my response, and yet I myself um, would say no trade, don't play. It seems too, um, well, risky. Uh, everyone's expecting good. Um, the real thing will be what if it's not the implied move of seven, but it jumps 20, you know, it does mm -hmm. one of those bonker things. Um, anyway, my, these are both the same pattern and all things held equal. They're both impressive. Um, all right, quickly, do you hear me okay right now? We do hear you okay. I apologize. apologize for that. So, Carter, real quick, and again, apologies on my end. Obviously, the only difference between this chart and the Microsoft chart is this large gap that was put in on that move higher back in May, June. How important is that in terms of... That's the, the risk to, to be sure here. Exactly. No, that's not that. That's a breakaway gap. There, there are different types of gaps. There's sort of uh, sort of uh, runaway gaps. There are exhaustion gaps. Um, but that's that gap is not in play anytime soon. In fact, Nvidia has gaps down at, at uh, 50 and 40 uh, one day. Sure. But you can't play for those now. Um those are Apple too has ones from long ago, but uh, when Apple turns in one day to GE or Revlon, as it will, they all do. Those will be filled, but that's not in the, our lifetime, yes, if you will. But uh, either way, I think I, if I had to play, I'd rather be long, but I'd rather not play. I, and Carter, I love you to death. <clears throat> I wouldn't be long with my worst enemy's money. And, and I got to tell you, because I think the main point is that the stock just bounced off your 150-day moving average. It's made that move to the prior high. And I get it. I see everything that you see here too. But I'm just thinking about it from like an expectation standpoint and a fundamental standpoint. I just look at the estimates, right? And, and, and of course, they're still growing you know, at, at a fantastic rate. Um, but the only thing is that the, the rate is decelerating, right? And, sure, and sometimes... You know, sure. yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, like Wall Street investors, you know, analysts, they, they get a little myopic. Um, and if they were to be, let's say, you know, their growth rate, which is down from 80%, right? Like, you know what I mean? Just like a quarter or two ago, and it's 22% expectations, and it only comes in at 24, which could be great. It's just still going to look like a disappointment. So again, you know, I, I'm not expecting any major fundamental hiccups, but this is also the quarter where they're going to give guidance. And all of a sudden, one of their main competitors, AMD, has a new chip in the market. It might not be as good. It might. Not, I, I just don't know. I think you're. But you're also saying you're, it's, look, you're not in the. I mean, the, you know, Wall Street has no clue. Just think about this. One year ago, think about mm -hmm. this. One year ago, Wall Street. You're talking about 70 analysts had a price target of 200. So here we are now, one year later, they thought it'd be 200, it's 500. I mean, all of the best semiconductor analysts who were paid to get this right as a group have no clue, right? Yeah. So uh, sometimes things are just in the, in the lap of the gods, as they say. Look, it's gonna be exciting, it's gonna be fireworks, you're gonna get out your popcorn at, at 401, I will have mine out, but uh, my hunch is not to play. But if I had to, um, yeah, I certainly would be worried about being short. So, um, all right, Carter, you know, like, so that's, we could just put a bow on this. You, you, you highlighted it 7% implied move in either direction. You know, you do the mm -hmm. math on that. We're talking about, you know, $80 billion 
um, mm-hmm. in market cap. You know, if you think about like that is expected to be what they do in sales next fiscal year. Okay, that that the stock could move. Um, I have no idea how much it moved. I just know this that to get the stock up seven or eight percent, you would need a meaningful beat and raise um, from from this point. And you know, the, you're just getting to a lot a lot of large numbers. I mean, just to put some context in this. And their Q1 quarter reported in April, they did $7.2 billion in sales. <clears throat> they guided to you know 80% higher. They did 13.5 the next quarter, um, expected to be 16 billion this quarter and 18 billion next. Okay, so you can just see that the growth rates are, are obviously um, coming down. And if they're less than expected, if they are in any of those major metrics are less than than what Wall Street consensus currently has, okay, and you just highlighted how many analysts cover this stock, okay, and so I'm just looking at facts that 60 rated a buy, three rated a hold, and zero rated a sell, and their price targets with a stock here just below 500, you ready for this? The average price target is like 650. Okay, so like, you know, so, so, so again, they could be off sides massively on just a small miss on sales margins, right? Like, I'm just telling you, I don't, but I don't, but Carter, I don't think it can go up massively on a small beat. Do you understand what I mean by that? Sure. No, no, look, any, any scenario, you can get the huge flare up and it closes in the red, all sorts of things. It dumps and then recovers. People say, Hey, a chance to buy NVIDIA down 12%. I saw something on Twitter. Someone sent me, it'll print 650 tomorrow. (laughs) I was like, yeah, well, all right. Have a ball. All right. Let, let, let's broaden out a little bit. You had a great report. On um, on worth charting on the SPX, but I want to hit the S and P futures really quickly here um, because I think this is a, an interesting sort of setup here, Carter. If you look at just kind of you know how far they've come, you know we're back at this kind of forty five, you know fifty five sort of level here. Um, that was the high in September before the market really started to, to kind of sell off and that 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 other leg from the summer here. Um, does that line? mean anything to you i mean other than the like the speed and 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 the distance that the s&p futures have traveled since november 1st i mean that is a violent violent move here is that prior high important to you um you know in in the future yeah i mean because it doesn't have a a 52-week high or an intermediate higher low july 27th or october 27th that's just another print that day so that doesn't really have any import but what we do know is that the market was straight down for exactly three months, 27 yeah. July to 27 October, dropped uh, 11 plus percent. Um, and then it has been straight up even more quickly, right? Yeah. And now we know that the QQQ is back to its its high. Uh, I think you fade it. Uh, that has not worked. You've been right. Every day it's gone higher. Um, we shall see. I mean, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's uh, everybody out, everybody in. If you think about it, it's been very, um, very directional, right? The move from the March low to the high of July 27th was 21%, 19 weeks, 21%. Then it proceeds to drop 11% over three months. And now it's ricocheted back and it's almost at its intermediate high. It's been, there's been almost no quiet periods. Yeah. Yeah, but look, before we get to your charts in the SPX, let's look at yields for a second here because your call has been that yields are going to come in and, and you've been right 
on that. Yeah, yields, um, dollar, and oil all yep. come in. That's happened, but stock. And, 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 and so on the 10-year yield, um, we see that 150-day down there at 4.11. Um, I think you said on a couple of occasions over the last few weeks um, on market call that you could see 415, four, you know, 4% or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and But you've also said that you think that the S&P can come in with yields too. Guy Adami, there he is. We're talking yields a little bit here. And, and Carter, we just looked at the S&P futures chart. Um, and, and now we just want to kind of talk about how his call that yields dollar could come in and that stocks, the S&PX could also come in. So we're doing yields right here. And, and it really does feel like a foregone conclusion that we're going to get back towards that moving average, which kind of lines up also with that kind of September low that it bounced off of that uptrend, right, Carter there. So how, how does the SPX and how do you think about gaps? Because you had that great report out, I think yesterday about unfilled gaps. How does How is that helping you to think about this is probably a good time to kind of fade that SPX move? Yeah, well, it's not. I mean, Mary, our conventional wisdom is, so uh, if rates are coming in and oil's coming in and dollars coming in, these are all uh, great tailwinds, right, for uh, the S&P. And indeed, the S&P has had a concomitant move of strength in response to the weakness in these three other uh, important securities. Uh, but at some point, right, it's it's when you go from something being soft that helps to something else, right? And so that gets to be the R word, and who knows? Some they thought there was a recession this year. Some people say back half of next year, no recession. The plane never lands. It flies around forever. Some people, the plane's going to crash, hard landing. Um, the question is ultimately, does it have to be this perfect inverse relationship where if yields go down, stocks go up? Or if the dollar goes down, stocks go up, or if oil, which is high and hurts the consumer, goes down, then the economy and stocks go up. And the truth is, it does not have to always be inverse. Yeah, Guy, thoughts here on yields before we get to Carter's charts on the SPX. So again, apologies. So what we thought for a while that at a certain point, yields going higher, we're going to sort of have an impact on the broader market. And that took place you know, I guess late August into August, late August into September when we finally breached four and a half on the upside. Then the market started to take notice. Things started to get a little dicey. Obviously, things turned around uh, when yields plummeted in a precipitous way. So it all makes sense. But Carter's point, and this is something he's been talking about for a while and something I happen to agree with is spot on. There is a scenario where yields get to a point on the downside where the market starts to take notice in a negative way. And I think sort of this four and a half ish level is that point of, is that sort of land of demarcation, that point of demarcation. And I think we're seeing it now. And if rates start to go lower in a, again, precipitous fashion from here, the market's going to say, wait a second, what is going on? And that's going to be interpreted as a negative. So yields suggest at this level that bad news could start to be bad news. And, and I agree with Carter completely as an assertion that. It's not going to be the same this time. Lower yields will not mean a higher stock market. Yeah. And if we look at the CME Fed funds tracker here, it's just pretty remarkable what's happened over the last few months. If you think about they were pricing in, you know, a a pretty high likelihood of a 25 basis point hike at the December meeting. And now cuts have been pulled forward. And I think obviously we're just looking at the S&P futures before and that violence in the rally in such a straight line over the last three weeks has had a lot to do with rate expectations. All right, Carter, walk us through the cash charts, though, here and what you're seeing as far as the gaps and how they've been 
filled and how you think, um, you know, what, what, where, where do you think a nice retracement of this recent move in the S&P 500 would be at least to start out in the near term? Sure. So we got seven charts. You see there, it says one of seven. Let's just roll through them. There are no lines. Now let's flash that line on and off, on and off. Now that is connecting the all-time high for January, 2022. Market sells off 27%. The NASDAQ trails off 37%. And we go then straight up to the highs of uh, 27 of July. And then in July, where you see where it touches the trend line, um, strategies are very bullish. All of a sudden, there's a lot of calls for new highs this year. What happens? Market sells off instead, drops almost 11%. And now we've recovered back to that trend line. Now, what's important about that trend line is it also is where the sole unfilled down gap, next chart, you'll see right here. And so it's at 4567.53. That's a mere, what, 35, 40 mm -hmm. base point move higher. It was a Wednesday. Uh, August uh, 2nd, and the market, uh, Fitch downgraded the, the U.S. Uh, debt, and the market uh, gapped down, maybe in response to that or something else, or maybe because it was steep and uncorrected, having moved up 21% since the March low. But either way, it dropped in gap and basically sunk like a stone all the way to the lows of October 27. So uh, now we've recovered almost to it. If and as we were to fill that sole unfilled down gap. That's the only one that exists in the history of the S&P going back to 1927. Um, there will be nothing but the ones below. So let's add the trend line to uh, the gap chart. You can see it's the same juncture. Let's keep going. If you look at another way to draw the lines, there is literally where the line comes into play. Let's put the arrow in instead, and let's wrap it up with some down arrows. Look at the last I think you faded here. Now, can it blow through there? NVIDIA is really good and it blows through. Uh, any scenario is possible. But what we do know is that it's steep, it's uncorrected, and it has characteristics that are impulsive, impetuous, rash, knee-jerk, as evidenced by the unfilled gaps associated with the past three weeks. All right, Guy Christopher Dami, um, I'm kind of in that camp with Carter. Now I've been in that camp. I, I wanted to kind of fade it before that CPI print. I was doing it through the QQQ with, mm -hmm. um, with, with a, with a put spread, um, which, which ended up not being particularly great. I, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I highlighted the fact that option premiums look really cheap, um, both in, in vault terms, but also, um, in, in dollar terms, it cost me about 1% to kind of like isolate a 10% move lower over December. That did not work out, um, particularly well. Maybe we'll take a closer look at the SPX as we get through this holiday a um, shortened week. Quick guys, question. Quick question for Carter, though, and I, I mean to apologize. Uh, so yesterday, Carter, and again, I don't know if this matters or not, but the S P did get to I think forty five fifty six or so. In in this, is that close enough for government work, or is that just sort of a bit of a tease here? Yeah, we didn't fill a gap. So, I mean, not that you have to be that. And one could say, who cares about the damn gap anyway? Okay, it's unfilled, it's filled. It, it, there's a lot of um, work that's mm -hmm. been done over the years on gap theory. And again, there are gaps in Apple down at $4 a share that won't uh, be filled anytime soon. But there are stocks that, uh, let me just say, like Revlon, that took 30 years, they fill them. They, uh, Tupperware, 30 years later, filling gaps from when it started. Um, and so... Uh, index gap like these uh, feel very impetuous. And uh, ultimately, I, I think the ones that are below are the ones that need to concern someone who is committing more capital to the market here. Okay. So I mentioned that, Dan, because 
if so there's a truth to that right carter just obviously outlined that mm-hmm. there's given that you know if i start to connect the dots there's a very good chance through that lens through that lens that again nvidia does surprise people even the high expectations out there to the upside and you see a spike higher in the stock that again will take s&p futures higher with it and maybe that's the thing that subsequently fills this S&P gap. And then that's the move that ultimately should be faded in a major way. I'm just throwing it out there because that makes sense in terms of calendar and timeline. Yeah. You know, again, you know, guy, you highlighted the the significance, at least from a sentiment standpoint, a name like NVIDIA, um, you know, and to me, and I just said this while you were off for, for a second, is that, you know, with the expectations where they are, with the stock having rallied how much it has mm-hmm. over the last month or so, that if a small beaten raise might get the stock up to a new high, it, it, you know, to me, it would be the sort of thing that you'd want to fade, but a small miss and guide lower, or just one of those stocks down a lot. So the risk reward to me does not set up um, particularly well on that. But but again, let's see. Let let let's see how the stock reacts to what we all expect to be good news in Nvidia, and let's see if you can drag the broader market with it. All right, Carter. Here's one that you know we've spent a lot of time talking about gold. Danny and Guy have been very bullish of gold. It's been volatile. Um, the dollar. And the move that we just kind of highlighted a little bit ago, it's got to help the sentiment, I think, of late a little bit. But your charts, you're not focused just on the here and now as far as gold bullion. Um, you're, you're going back some distance here, probably, you know, before Guy was trading gold back in the 90s. Um, but And Guy wants to trade the gold. He wants to trade the futures when you're done. Um, but the charts are pretty compelling. Uh, lay them out for us, please. Sure, sure. So, yeah, I mean, look, gold's a controversial thing, and um, some people always have it, some people will never own it, and some people trade it. Uh, But let's look at the charts. These were published about a week ago, and the idea is here that we took the long-term view. Uh, We have several, and let's just roll through them. The idea is to be long gold. So um, this is the first of five 30-year monthly bar charts. And so if we look at the next way to draw the lines, uh, those lines draw themselves. Let's put some circles in just to make that point to the penny, to the penny. We're working into uh, a, a sort of a moment where there's likely to be a resolution. Let's put the arrow in. The arrow is a judgment, right? Someone could say, yeah, that's a great chart, except there should be a red arrow on the bottom going down. Uh, another way to draw the lines and final way. Um, the point is we we have an epic move and where it starts is in this is what irony is all about. In the year 2000, Cisco's worth more than any company in the world and no one wants gold. People love .com. When something is loved and something is hated, it's usually right to take both and do the opposite. So of course, what was it right to do? Sell all the dot-com stocks and buy gold. So gold bottoms when the dot-com peaks and it goes on this epic run 250 uh, basically to 2000 ounce. And we have been, after selling off from 2009, 2010, we've returned to that level over and over. And that's what tension is, right? So we're we're contending with, we're toying with the prospect of an important breakout type move to new highs. Um, we also have some shorter term, uh, just to put this. So this is, this is going back 10 years. And uh, let's draw the lines here. And these lines draw themselves. I didn't fix them, manipulate them. Let's put some circles in. 
this is, is very straightforward stuff. Now, the next part is a judgment. Take a look. The arrows. Now, some could say, yeah, you got it all right. Beautiful charting, except those should be red arrows going down. Well, at some point, you know, as they say, uh, thank you for choosing a side. You can be short gold. I want to be long. Anyway, I think the setup is good. And um, whether you want to trade it or whether you want to always have some. Uh, but the third category, just never having any and saying it's, you know, the, that stupid phrase of barbarous relic and all that kind of stuff. That seems close minded. All right. So let's look at the gold trade. Now let's try to put a bow on everything Carter's just talked about and the things we just discussed. So one of the headwinds for gold recently has been obviously yields going higher, typically in a higher interest rate environment. Gold's not doing particularly well because the dollar's rallying as well. Historic headwinds. Gold wasn't off to the races to the upside, but it wasn't getting sold off in a meaningful way either. So the historic norms were not necessarily holding up. As Carter mentioned, he thinks yields are going lower. Lower yields, theoretically, should then provide a tailwind for gold. The dollar will be coming off simultaneously. In addition to that, we collectively said that yields going lower from 4.5%, the equity market might not necessarily like. So maybe there'll be some sort of event in the equity market. We obviously looked at some of the gaps on the downside the S&P has. All those things, to me, lend themselves to gold finally getting through these levels. So what do you do? You buy it here, and that's the price that we had when we put this chart together. Let's just call it 2000 for sake of argument. The stop of 1935 or thereabouts puts you back, Dan, to levels that we saw basically, I want to say, you know, a few weeks or so ago, mm -hmm. right? That's your stop at level. It's tight, but that's probably the right stop. The ultimate target is those prior highs, 2085. But I would submit that you're not taking profits there, Dan and or Carter. You're actually adding to the existing long position. And if it were to get there and you add to your position, then you subsequently raise that 1935 stop, maybe to 2000 or so. But that's for another conversation. So buy it here, tight stop, add to it on new highs, raise your stop. Yeah, I I would also it's it's interesting and, and so I, I see what Carter sees in the charts. I, I get your fundamental framework for a two guy, and I would almost say with something like this that actually has been really volatile of late is I might even want to use a tighter stop. And you know, if you just looked at that recent low, um, and I think it was from uh, what day of the month here uh, on the tenth, okay, or eleventh or so, and that. Yeah, that if you draw a trend line up, and Carter, I'd love to get your take on this because this is how sometimes when I'm thinking about futures trading and I'm thinking about short-term kind of levels and stops, I would maybe draw a little bit of an uptrend guy that it just bounced off of today, okay? Mm -hmm. And I might even put a really near-term stop at like, I don't know, like 1980 or something like that. And let's see how it acts in and around there, right below, like 1975, right below that uptrend. Let's see how it acts there, that sort of thing. So to me, you know, 65 points, right, on a, you know, on, on a 2000 number is, is not that big of a deal. But if I'm trading it in that last camp that Carter's talking about, I probably want to take a bunch of little shots at this thing too, because I don't want to be shaken out. Again, if you, if you have too tight a stop, you get shaken out a lot, but I also don't want to get caught in too much of a downdraft of a move. I don't know. Carter, thoughts on like sometimes putting tighter stops on a trade like this that uh, has been pretty volatile? 
Yeah, I mean, stops are such a tricky thing. You know, if you make them too tight, all you do is just give it away. Stop that, stop that, stop that. You make them too wide. And when you get stopped out, you lost too much money. It is a very hard thing. And it's, there are no rules. You know, some people have 5% and they take it down by a third or they don't touch it till it's down seven and whack it by half or 10%, got to go kick it out. It's a very personal thing, right? And uh, I, I, look, I've looked the world over, read as much as anybody, and there are no fixed rules. Um, You know, there's nothing wrong with being tight, right? Tight, uh, um, is is disciplined and discipline over time is what yields success. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Guy Adami, thank you for that trade idea. And, and I, I guess the main point is also if you get it going in the right direction after you buy it, you keep moving that stop up, which uh, in effect does tighten up the trade and reduce the risk, um, you know, at least booking some of the profit in your head, if you can think about it that way a little mm-hmm. bit. All right. So Guy, on the rundown, you highlighted the fact we're not always bearish well well this is carter this is the work that he's doing we do really appreciate it because i know that you've been on one side of this small cap trade for a very long time so when i see the email come out from we're charting that you're highlighting a a bunch of small caps with a bearish to bullish reversal i kind of want to pay attention right so talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing and maybe why small caps are kind of interesting to you at a point they've massively underperformed their large cap brethren for the most part a little bit so is this a sector that you've been waiting to try to find some constructive patterns in? Well, uh, let's see. To some extent, the report was meant to be a little bit of a follow-up from the regional bank KRE mm-hmm. uh, buy report from, um, I guess, 10 sessions ago or thereabouts. And uh, what we did, we just took stocks $4 billion to $200 million and singled out about 120. Uh, judged to be in the throes of bearish to bullish reversals, bottoming out, rounding bottoms. I like the phrase bearish to bullish. Uh, I inherited it from my teacher mentor because it it's more descriptive. It just uh, it describes the precondition of bearishness and then a recent uh, bullishness. But it has a look, and typically it's a look of something whose smoothing mechanism, 150-minute average, is no longer declining, but actually starting to inflect and rise. And so... Um, the list is dominated by regional banks, about one out of three, but it, it hails from all areas of the market. Um, one, uh, one, I'll give you a good uh, back and forth with a, a large PM. He said, look, you have made the case, and we believe compellingly that the market's ricochet is due to stop, uh, given the gaps, and it's up against that downturn line. But you have the, also a case, which surely is bullish for equities, that you're singling out a high-risk, high-beta, small-cap uh, names dominated by regional banks. Isn't that, a, isn't that a tell for basically bullish things ahead? And can both those things happen? And here was the answer. The market is so dominated by those big names, it is uh, the ricochet, steep and uncorrected, and due for some sort of give back. Whereas, consider this, the 119 names, the median market cap is like 1.5 uh, billion. Here's the front page of the report. And the mean is 1.72. Well, guess what 119 stocks with an average market cap of 1.72 billion adds up to? 205 billion. That's just the same size as my, McDonald's. McDonald's is 205. This entire list is 205. That's the same as Netflix. This entire list is the same as Netflix. Um, Bank America is about 200. So that could you have these sort of losers, if you want to call it that, laggard small cap um, stocks 
go up, even if the market go down? Sure you can, because these stocks are small and the moves are idiosyncratic. And here's the thing, these are acting a lot better than the Russell 2000. But let's bang through some charts. So this is a basket of each of the stocks plotted together as though they were one stock, a basket, equal weight. Every, every stock given the sequence. Now, there are no lines or drawings. Let's put some on. That downtrend is pretty clear. So what did it drop from? Basically, 5,700 to 2,500. It loses 50% in a period where the market loses only 27. But it's moved above the downtrend. Another way to draw the lines, we put them together. That's a pretty good setup. Or what do we do? Instead of having an actual trend line, we use the automated trend line, the smoothing mechanism. Look at the 150-day moving average. It is starting to flatten and turn. Anyway, this basket, uh, I like it because the individual picks independently, but as a group, tell a story. Yeah, let's, let's look... look yeah, Sorry, let's look at some idea. of the, no, let's look at some of those individual names that kind of tell that story there, Carter. Oh yeah. All right. So let, we can go through quickly. I mean, trip, talk about a wipeout, 110 to 30. And starting to base and bottom. Let's look at the next one. The trip, what does that have to do with Yeti? Nothing. The shades are different, but the circumstance, generally speaking, great strength, great weakness. Now basing and bottoming. Uh, let's look at the next. A tech stock, a prototypical bearish to bullish reversal, and then finally, just a good example, a healthcare name. And so it's the precondition of shocking bearishness, not down 20 or 40, but down 70 and 80. And then the basing and bottom and curing and healing as the 150 million average actually starts to inflect bearish to bullish reversal buys. Very strong stuff, Carter, and you've brought these before, and they've all worked out. And I mean, again, you wait and see, and think about the work. If you go back to that original chart or that original sort of statement, 113, I think, was the number. So it, it, it's amazing how 119 stocks singled out. So the amount of charts one has to go through to find these. So thank you for bringing a few with us today, Carter Worth. You are the man, and we are appreciate. We are thankful for Thank your you. participation. I don't know if we'll see you necessarily tomorrow, but if we don't, have a very happy Thanksgiving, CBW. Thanks, man. Okay, see you as well. See you, bud. Uh, guy, we're we're gonna see Carter on the CNBC's Fast Money tonight. He's gonna be on with well, us. Well, I you know I know that, but we're talking about through the lens of this show here, yeah, through through our lens, through through this lens. Um, you look good through this lens uh, there. Um, so let let's talk a little bit about like so 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 we got. NASDAQ weakening in front of this all important report. I mean, we've gotten through Q3 earnings season. And I think it's really, I think, you know, as far as large cap tech was concerned, you know, we had, you know, things like, you know, Google gap down 9%. That was a big move, right? We had Amazon gap up. We had Netflix gap up. You know, we had Apple, which was disappointing, which worked lower, but then by the end of the day was kind of unchanged. I, I think Microsoft, you know, was kind of similar. People are a little disappointed a little bit at first, but then they bought it. So mm -hmm. it seems like there was no clear indication, but because of what we sp spoke about with yields, with the dollar coming in, with crude coming in, with the Fed's tone shift, right, over the last few months, with Fed funds expectations of cuts in the new year pulled forward right rather than basically another hike the markets have just ripped right so here we are holiday shortened week when we get back we're basically 
it's just a dash in December. We have an S&P that's up 18, 18.5%. We have a NASDAQ 100 that's up 45%. Uh, and back to its highs, you know, the NASDAQ in general is, is just kind of lagging a little bit there. Um, I saw Savita Subramanian, who I, I think is a very good strategist. I really appreciate um, her work. You know, she's saying the S&P closes at 5,000 in 2024, guy, up 10% from current levels. I mean, that's not a huge leap, I guess, if, if, if you think about it. But a lot of things have to go right with the economy. A lot of things have to go right with the Fed's outlook for yields, right? Like, and, and the like here, a lot of things have to go right from a geopolitical standpoint. A lot of things have to go right for a U.S. consumer that at least on the low end is showing some cracks, right? A little bit. So it's just kind of interesting if you think about last year and this year, they almost feel like mirror opposites of themselves, right? A little bit, which really makes 2024 a jump ball. And, and, and listen, you could say to me every year when you're thinking mm-hmm. out, right? You know what I mean? Is a jump ball. But this is the first time in a long time that I remember so much uncertainty. And I actually will bring you back to this time at 2021 when the Fed basically did the mea culpa on inflation. They said they were going to raise interest rates to battle it right? We had tanks amassing on the Ukrainian border. There was lots of fear about oil supplies, about grain supplies, about who gets involved, right? Like all this sort of stuff. And you know what? That was not a great period, you know, in in 2022. So I wonder if we're like literally very similar spot to where we were in late 21 than we are right now. A lot there. I'll say this. I mean, she might wind up being right at the end of 2024. And I know you know the answer to this, but or you know what I'm about to say. It's how do we get there, though? Because I don't think it's just going to be a straight line there. I don't think she probably feels that either. And there's a very good chance that this time next year, we're looking at an S&P at those levels, but we're talking about the downdraft that we saw earlier in the year that scared the shit out of everybody. And I think that is somewhat likely given what you just said, the consumer's clearly slowing. I mean, we had a, our podcast will drop, I think Dan on Thursday with uh, Lizanne Saunders. I mean, she talked about one of the things we brought up were leading economic indicators have been deteriorating now for the last 19 or so months. Um, that doesn't turn on a dime. And I don't think the market has factored that in. So. If you start seeing the unemployment rate sort of stair step higher, which I think we'll start to see into next year, I think there's going to be a scenario where bad news is bad news and rates going lower is bad news for the stock market, just like Carter outlined before, until maybe things turn towards, I don't know, late summer next year, early into the fall, and then people get excited about things because the Fed has finally acquiesced. Yeah, I, I just go back to this and I'll just, you can, you can timestamp it right here. We talked about it on, on the tape. We talked about it on Market Call. We talked about it on Fast Money. I just think back in the last 25 years, okay, when the Fed has gone on aggressive rate tightening, okay, Mm -hmm. and when they stopped. So back in 2000, I think there was a six-month stop after they were raising interest rates, and then they started to drop them aggressively, and you all know what happened to stocks. And then in the mid-aughts, they started raising them fairly aggressively. They stopped, I think, in early 07. We went from a 1% 1 Fed funds to, um, I think, about 5%. And when they started cutting, they cut it aggressively and they went to zero. We all know what happened to stocks. In 2015, 16, they started to do the same thing. Fed Chair Powell really kicked it into gear in 17. And then what happened in 18, you know, like they basically 
stock market sold off really hard, 20%, and they stopped, right? And so then, you know, again, my, my only point is like, so here we are, you know, we came from the zero interest rate bound, and then we're, we're at five and a half on the upper end of that, okay? And stocks are trading expensive. Stocks are very near their all-time highs. And I'm just hard-pressed to see. I don't mean that the S&P is going to get cut in half. But if there is some unforeseen sort of situation guy, and let me tell you something, nobody in early 2000 thought we were going to go into this recessionary environment for a couple of years and have, you know, like the, the period that we did, okay? And then nobody heading into, or very few people heading into 07, you know what I mean? Into early 08, thought we were going to have the 08, 09 period that we did. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I'm not wishing for anything horrible to happen. But as far as I'm concerned, the long and variable lags of the higher rates, the inverted yield curve that you have spent a lot of time talking about, you know, some of the, the, the kind of cracks that we're seeing in the U.S. consumer, the geopolitical head, all of the above. I, I mean, I would not be shocked in 2024 if something bad happens, causing stocks to go down much further than people think. Yeah. And look, just to, before we get out of here, I'll say this, you know, these zero day till expiry options are, you know, those could be the, those could be a ticking time bomb that nobody seems to want to acknowledge or talk about. And those are one of those things that work until they don't. And that's not meant to be glib, but when they don't, uh, it, it really sort of incinerates many, many months, if not years of gains very quickly. So Keep an eye out for that as yeah. well. But I got to get out of here, Dan, as do you. Yeah. Appreciate the time. The great Carter Braxton Worth, CME Group, obviously our sponsor, as well as FactSet, our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow. But what time tomorrow, Dan? Because we're changing things up. Very special time, 10 a.m. We're going to have a holiday edition, 10 a.m. Gobble, gobble, Guy Adami. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. And also, follow us on the Insta. Guy Adami is on the Insta. He's Guy.Adami. I'm Dan S. Nathan. We have a risk rehearsal media account. Our team is putting out some really cool content that we're – oh, that's look – at, look who's part of our team now. That's Mark Zuckerberg. Um, those are our Instagrams. We've got a lot of fun content on there, so check it out people guy thanks so much thanks to our sponsors thanks to all you guys for being here we'll see you tomorrow morning 10 a.m market call